All right, good morning. Good to see you all here. I hope uh, everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. All right. <laughs> it's a lively crowd today, Ray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no more turkey coma. Everybody's all excited. Maybe it's the sugar rush trying to finish off those desserts. All right, well, like I said, it is good to see you here this morning, and we're going to open up today's service with scripture reading and then prayer. Uh, we'll have our, our children's teaching, and then time of worship and music, and then finally end it with our worship through God's Word. And Ray will be bringing the teaching this morning. We're going to continue in the book of Philippians, but uh, in preparation for that, preparing our hearts for worship, turn to Romans 12 with me, and I'll be reading verse 9 through to the end of that chapter. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have your word, we have your truth to focus on and to anchor ourselves to, especially in a world that sometimes seems so chaotic and puts a lot of pressure on us, God, sometimes to feel like we have to perform. And we're reminded through your word that it is simply by your grace that we are saved and we stand just having that peace relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would just help us in our growing in the faith, help us in our time of fellowship today, that we would love one another with brotherly love, with affection, and God, that we would hold each other accountable as we live out our Christian walk individually, but also corporately here as a church. And that the way we do it is something that is pleasing and glorifying to you, God, and that we show our love of you by obedience. And I thank you for a time together with other believers to worship you through song and through the instruction of your word. I pray that your word is divided rightly today, God, and that we would just take in everything that you are already ordained for us to receive here today in terms of your instruction. Uh, we seek correction where we need to be corrected. Uh, we just seek to grow more in the knowledge of you, God. 
and just help us to be intentional in our doing that here this morning. God, we know that you have purposed things from eternity's past that you already know about. We just uh, pray that we would seek you in prayer and come to you often, just knowing that we have not because we ask not, and just help us to ask for the things that we should ask for. And we know that when we ask for your wisdom, that you give it to us abundantly. So please help us to obtain more wisdom today as we just learn and grow together as a body of believers called Carlsbad Bible Church. And may we honor you by doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, good morning, everybody. We're glad that uh, you're here today. <clears throat> I'm glad I'm here today and uh, get to share God's word with you today. If you would, let's open our Bibles of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. As I was going through this study, I just realized that this is the last letter that Paul writes, and so this will be the last chapter that Paul will ever pin down. And so as I began to evaluate the, the text and, and kind of just watch how it naturally splits and how the, uh, Paul changes his ideas, um, I felt that the text naturally breaks at verse 4. So I've had plans to go through verse 9, but I think today we'll stop at verse 4 and halfway through verse 4, and then next week we'll finish up through verse 9. So today may be a little bit shorter message, but uh, many commentators, um, it was hard. Some went through verse 9 and started at 4-1. Some went through, uh, uh, ended at 4-4 uh, from the previous section. But as I begin to look and, and kind of evaluate it, I feel that all as well, this is the last exhortation. So if I was on the team to put <clears throat> the chapter 4, where I would put that 4 at, I would probably put it at verse 4, just because that's kind of what felt like more sense to me as I studied God's Word. So just in case you guys didn't know, I'm not adding to the Bible, but you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all these guys who wrote the epistles and the gospels, they didn't put chapters and verses, right? That came later on. So, um, so again, where you put those, I think there was some madness to it, but um, I think for me on this section here, I would have brought it down a little lower. I think we're typically used to the therefore, if you see in verse 1, as a break. But I think in this book, where everywhere we see rejoice is a new thought, a new change in the book of Philippians. So it is kind of an oddball. that um, doesn't match the rest of it. And not only that, though, but verse 4 through 9 has some really good things that we probably need to slow down and talk about um, you know, uh, so especially, you know, things about anxiety, uh, about truth, about purity, all these things, I think we should probably slow down and talk about them. And so uh, today we're going to focus on verses one through four. So <clears throat> let me get my notes out here. Let's go ahead and read. I will read through verse nine, but I'm going to start at verse 20 and 21 of the previous chapter. We're not going to talk much about it, but I do feel that those two are connected to the, the first, at least the first verse and maybe the second. Um, but uh, let's talk about it or let's read it. So for our citizenship is in heaven 
from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> while, uh, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by His working through which He is able to even subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, loved and longed for, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Sintichi, to think <clears throat> the same way in the Lord. Indeed, I ask you also, genuine companion, help these women who have contended together alongside of me in the gospel with also Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your considerate spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, with, <clears throat> will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent and if anything worthy of praise, consider these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. <clears throat> so, with that said, Barry, would you open us in a word of prayer for me? Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, so let's go ahead and proceed here. So, as I mentioned, um, we're going to go through verses uh, 1 through 4 and uh, take a look at this real close. For um, we see the final exhortation, right? And this exhortation is to stand firm in the unity of Christ, right? And the church, um, in the Lord. And so we want to take a look at that here. So let's begin the text here. It says, therefore... Or maybe some of yours may, may say, for this reason, okay, my brothers uh, loved and longed for. Okay, the therefore in this reason is referring back to what we just read to the heavenly perspective of the previous two verses. Okay, the section of verses 1 uh, through 4a is the final big exhortation of Paul to embrace his Christ-centered pattern of life. Okay, remember he gave us these examples then he gave us an example of himself, and then here we are. This is the last section here. This is the final big exhortation of Paul to embrace his Christ-centered pattern of life. Paul now begins with the saturation of emotional terms in this text. If you look at it, right, what does it say? My joy, oh, let me back up. Therefore, my brothers, loved and longed for, my joy and crown. Okay, so you can see this is emotional for Paul. You know, again, he's wrapping up the last chapter of his life, and uh, he is speaking directly to a church whom he loves and whom he served Christ together with. And so it is very emotional. Not only that, though, but he's preparing for the next verse, chapter 2. You know, he's uh, it's kind of the, um, the climax, right? He's bringing it up before he, he comes and calls out a couple of, uh, of sisters here in, in the church. So... The section of verses 1, uh, one 4 through 8, like I said, is the final big exhortation of Paul to embrace a Christ-likeness. Then we see the emotional uh, saturation of the terminology he uses here. 
So if we look at it, it says, therefore, my brothers, okay? So the first is brothers, or some of your translations may say brothers or sisters, okay? Either way, it is brothers. Um, And uh, the Apostle Paul sees the Philippian church as his what? As his family. This isn't just a call to Christians, but it's a call to family, okay? He says brothers. The Apostle Paul sees the Philippian church as his family, so he uses a, uses a family-type language, calling the Philippians his brothers. Now, you're like, okay, where do you get this from, right? Okay, this is not the only time that Paul uses this language in this epistle. Okay, let's go back to, uh, hold your spot there, and let's go back to chapter 1. Turn, turn a page or two, and then you'll see verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. My brothers, right? Again, he's speaking to the church, it's not, and this church is not in sin like the Corinthians, okay? That's not perfect like any human church, so he has some things to address, but he is um, very emotional with this church. He loves this church. It is dear to him. Um, so we see that there. Then if we take a look, uh, turn it to uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord, right? You see it again. We go to verse 13 of chapter 3. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet. So you see this pattern through the scripture. Verse 17, brothers, join in following my example. And then we see chapter 4, verse 1, which is our text today. And then next week we'll see it in verse 8, where it says, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, and he begins to exhort them as well here. So again, this is a family perspective. Paul is not just writing to a church. Okay, His last letter isn't just to a church, a group of people. This is a group of people whom he loves, whom are dear to his heart, and he's speaking to them as brothers and sisters. Okay, There's a special bond here. <clears throat> So again, it's very personal to Paul, as we can see the expressions. Paul even adds the word. What is the word? Is that right before brothers? My, right? Because he makes it personal. My brothers. He doesn't say brothers. My brothers. It's a personal thing to him. Okay, so you need to understand the depth as we wrap up this chapter that Paul is. This is very emotional for Paul. Okay? I don't, even, I don't know if he knows this is the last letter he'll ever write or the last chapter, but this is emotional for him. He goes on in his, in his affection for the Philippian church, and what does he call them next? He's therefore my brothers. He says, my what? The loved, right? And longed for. And he also addresses them at the end of, of, of the verse as my, if you go back to the end of that verse, or in verse four, uh, 1, he calls them my beloved. Again, he adds the word my. He says, therefore, my brothers loved and longed for. Okay, so you see this expression in Paul. Calls them loved and also addresses them at the end of the verse as my beloved. These people are loved by Paul. Like I mentioned, they are dear to him and they are greatly valued by him. Not as people, but as believers in Christ, as his brothers and sisters in Christ, what is the glue that brings them together? What is the commonality that brings them together? What is that one thing? It's Jesus Christ, exactly right. 
It is Christ. It is the Lord. And this is what brings them together. The same spirit that lives in you lived in them and lived in Paul. Okay? We should be able to relate with Paul as he's speaking to these people. With one another here in the church, my beloved. Okay? So again, this is very personal. They're also longed for. Okay? So they're loved and longed for. This phrase speaks of an intense desire. Okay? Very intense. What he is saying is that he misses them. Not just misses them, but terribly. Okay? So I want to be there. I miss you. I wish I could be there. Um, my grandmother passed away probably, what, 16 years ago? 17 years ago? And I was telling somebody just the other day, I said, I wish I could just have one more conversation with her. Nothing simple or nothing in depth. I just would love just to have a simple conversation with her, right? I desire just to speak to her. I miss her. And I wish uh, that I could continue talking to her, especially about the things of the world today. Before she passed away, I was just, uh, I'd been a Christian just for a little while, so I had lots of good moments with her. And I, I, I believe that she came out of the Catholic religion um, because of uh, our conversations, you know, God's word. And um, I, I spent so many hours with her, talking to her, so much passion. And just my, my grandma, if you knew her, she was really, really a tough and scary lady. Nobody would come up to her and tell her the truth or say anything to her. But her grandson, right, she was soft with all of us. We were able to, to prick her heart, to give her the truth. And she was sensitive. I remember talking to her for almost about a year. And finally one day I showed up at her house and she's like, Mijo, right, in Spanish, right, son, or, uh, yeah, mijo, a young man, right, and she's like, I finally got what you were trying to tell me, she was, I was talking to my sister the other day, and she, my aunt was a Christian as well, and she said, um, it's a relationship with Christ, and I'm like, I've been telling you that for a whole year, and somebody else just said it, right, she's like, I finally get it, and I could just see the joy in her face, and it brought joy to myself, but not too long after is when she passed away. But I wish we could have these conversations, uh, conversations of sanctification and the things of life and, and how now as a Christian, you know, she approaches life differently. And so anyways, I just, I had that same longing that Paul had for his people, for my grandmother, just to, to watch that, that growth in her and the questions that uh, she may have and that I may have and as watches grow together. I was probably maybe three, four years uh, saved at that time of my life. So anyways, Paul longs for these people. Um, <clears throat> this is a, a, a big burden for him, okay? They're also longed for the phrase, uh, like again, like I said, speaks of an intense desire. Um, he terribly misses them, just like we miss our friends and family, like the example I just gave you. <clears throat> so Paul feels the same way for the Philippians. So Paul, though, now calls them my joy and crown. As his joy, the apostle delights in his relationship with the church, okay? He says, my joy, you guys give me joy, okay? Why would a church give him joy? Why would he not say, I mean, is that like blasphemous? Then you find his joy in Christ. Why would the church give him joy? Because it's his family, Right? It's his family in Christ because they're, they have that connection, right? 
And not only that, he is probably the guy who helped start this church, or he set the elder there to start the church. He's been uh, mentoring them, training them. We'll see here later on that he was actually over there and they were ministering together. So he is responsible for this church, right? He is an elder's elder. And so he is excited. My joy, okay? I'm sure when you go look back at the testimony of Carlsbad Bible Church and how it began, you could see that the originators of the church could look at it and say, this is my joy. Not because it's selfish, but because in Christ, to watch what the Lord has done at Carlsbad Bible Church over the last years, that should be the joy of the leaders. But in Christ, right? And so it is our joy, as Paul says, my joy, this church. Now, <clears throat> both my joy and crown both point to an uh, an escalade. I think I, I struggled with this last time too. I don't know why. <laughs> Let me slow down. Eschatological, not eschatological. Yeah, that end time realities. <laughs> That's what I get for trying to be so scholarly, right? <laughs> That's the layman terms, right? But both my joy, I don't know why I struggle with that. I used to love saying that word. Now it's probably the glasses. <laughs> my joy and crown, they both point to end time realities. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians. Hold your spot there. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter two, verse nineteen, and it says, "For who is our hope, or our joy, or our crown of boasting? Who is it? Right? Is it not even you before our Lord Jesus at His coming?" Okay. So Paul will experience joy as the Philippians make it to the ultimate outcome of the faith. Now let's go back to Philippians. Um, chapter 3, 3.14. So Paul will experience joy as the Philippians make it to the ultimate outcome of the faith. <clears throat> it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way, and if in, and if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. Okay, so let's go back to chapter 4. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> chapter 4. So, <clears throat> so we look back at 4. It says, one commentator says that when Paul calls the Philippians... My crown, he says, he draws on the imagery from Greco-Roman Roman athletic events where a weaving of laurel, ivy, oak, or olive branches formed a crown marking a contender's victory. Okay, that's what he says. Now, this verse ends with Paul exhorting his loved ones. So this crown, these loved ones, right? There's a victory here, my joy and crown, Okay. <clears throat> now this verse ends with Paul exhorting his loved ones to stand what? Firm in the faith. Okay? This is a, a, a military type 
uh, perception, uh, perspective, uh, thought. To be firmly committed, be grounded in the truth and the way of life. If you ever study the book of Ephesians and you look at the, the, uh, the cleats or the shoes of the uh, armor of God, they're really thick and they're intended to hold ground, right? To hold the position, to hold firmly no matter what the pressures are or as you're in the battle, it holds you and keeps, keeps you balanced, right? So again, the same thought, stand firm in the Lord, okay? To be firmly committed, be grounded in the truth, and a way of life. The ultimate relationship is in the Lord for which Paul is ecstatic for. Okay? Therefore, my, my brothers, loved and longed for my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Okay? So this is a very emotional, Paul is very passionate for his people, and then he's kind of given that hug, that speech, right? And then he goes now into this verse 2. He says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to think the same way in the Lord. We've mentioned them before. There's a quarrel going on here. And um, he's, he's calling them out. And if you notice, he calls them out by what? By name, right? By name. Paul now sp- speaks directly to two leaders. And I don't mean leaders like elders. More like leaders as, um, you know, Paul gives, he, he gives himself and two others as examples to follow. These are women as leaders in the church, like examples to follow. Okay? Paul decides to name these women. Okay? Which is of great significance. It's very interesting. But this is a firm but yet encouraging exhortation. You would think he's chewing them out, right? And he is. But we'll look in a, in a second where we'll kind of look at the other side of the coin. So he's calling them out. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to think the same way in the Lord. The way I long for you, the way I love you, the way I stand firm in Christ, the way you are my joy and crown, I want you guys to think the same way. <clears throat> the name Euodia means good journey. Syntyche means chance or change of fortune. Okay? All that we know of these two ladies comes from this passage. Okay? There were two women that were in the Philippian church who were having a, t- a hard time getting along. Okay? We don't know why. We can assume all kinds of things. There's no details, um, which may be even a, a good thing, right? So we're not calling each other out. <laughs> but there's no details. All we know is that we're, there was friction. And the Apostle Paul is calling them to make it right. Okay? So we too, as people, don't have to agree on, on much, right? But what we do, but what is necessary, is that we come to an agreement on the essentials of the Lord. We need to set our differences aside so that the Lord may be magnified and His work can advance, right? If we focus on biting and gnashing and stabbing each other's back and all these things, the church will never grow, okay? In fact, the first Corinthians, Paul, uh, yeah, Paul says they were on milk the whole time. He says, I wish you were on meat. Let that not be true of Carlsbad Bible Church. We want to grow, 
and we want to be on a solid meat. In fact, throw, let's throw out a carcass of meat in front of us so we can all feast together. We want to be solid and truthful. Now, whether it's envy, rivalry, self-centeredness, uh, self-ambition, or even pride, we need to forgive okay, and reflect Christ in our everyday walk. So no matter what, Paul is calling them to make it right. We need to forgive each other. If there's something that has, if you've been offended by someone, even an unbeliever, you need to forgive. You need to move forward. I was actually talking to someone about this this week. Um, in my home, in my family, or maybe in my compound, if I want to call it that. But within the compound of the Sosas, there was an incident where I was counseling someone to forgive and let it go. And they were like, I can't do it. I said, I understand. But this is the moment when people will see you reflect Christ the most. And yes, it is hard, right? We battle with the flesh, the temptation of vengeance. I think I even said, well, if you want, we can go. I'll take you Saturday morning. We'll stalk them when they leave the house. You can take them and I'll drop you off and, you know, you can take care of it, right? No, no, we can't do that. I said, okay, then. Well, see, that's the worst case scenario. But uh, no, uh, we can't do that. That's not what Paul is saying to do. He says, the same way in the Lord, have like-mindedness, right? Uh, we need to reflect Christ in everything. We cannot have envy. We cannot have... And that's, and that's a, between a believer and an unbeliever. But within the church, it's more embarrassing. Within the church, it's unacceptable because we have the ultimate example, which is Christ, okay? Which is Christ, he forgave us. We should be able to forgive everyone. Okay? There is nothing that somebody can do to you that is not worth your forgiveness. Okay? So, if Christ can forgive you, then you can forgive anybody, no matter what the concept, no, no matter what they did to you or what they did to those around you. Does it hurt? Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. There are events in my life around my life that, that I struggle with even to this day, but I have forgiven. I just, I just don't want to be around the people, okay? And I'm, just, I'm still working on that over years. I just want to be away. So anyways, I went down the rabbit trail, but maybe somebody needed to hear that. So Paul says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to think the same way in the Lord. Verse 3, Indeed I ask you also, Genuine companion, help these women who have contended together alongside of me in the gospel with also Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. To amplify more Paul's concern for these ladies, he appeals, he calls to an unnamed leader in the church to assist. Okay, But what he calls him, he calls him a genuine, or some translations say true, companion okay he's asking him to intervene for him to go talk to them okay one commentator says that paul describes this colleague as true which speaks of something true or legitimate uh, originally referring to a legitimate child right somebody who was genuine in the faith someone who was christ-like okay so he has this person and some people say maybe the person in verse one, chapter one, verse one, that he's speaking to, the elder, 
Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't say. So anyways, he says, genuine companion. Are you, are we genuine companions? Are we true in our faith that someone can call upon us for help? Something to think about. So he says, indeed, I ask you also, genuine companion, help these women who have contended together. Paul speaks of the Corinthians' genuine, genuineness in love in 2 Corinthians 8.8. 8. I'll read it to you. You don't have to go there. He says, I am not speaking this as a command, but as a, pro- but as a proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. Nonetheless, Paul is speaking this unanimous uh, genuine leader. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. Nonetheless, Paul is asking this unanimous genuine leader to support him, to aid him, to help him. Right? These women uh, help these women towards restoring their relationship. When we approach somebody who has done wrong or maybe they're in sin, it's not to condemn them. And we've talked about this before. But it's the whole purpose is to restore these brothers or sisters in Christ. Okay? I've been called out in sin, you know, and I've had, you know, a come to Jesus moment, if you want to call it that. And um, these are important. There are some people who are passive with sin, but we must call it out. The standard is Christ. And if we reflect Christ, then we should live that standard. There was an example the other day of a gentleman who had told me that he was a Christian, but I was watching the way he was working with somebody uh, next to him, and I pulled him in, and I I was talking to him, and I said, hey, the other day you told me that you were a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, well, I'm going to hold you to this standard. I said, what you're doing to this person is sinful. You need to change your ways. They're not a believer, and... When they find out you're a Christian, you're going to make it harder for the rest of us. And man, I just saw him melt in his chair. I said, but that's why you are where you are. I said, because um, uh, I'm trying to be careful what I say so I don't expose the person. But anyways, um, there was a repentance there. It was, I was thankful. He responded well. The next day, he made it right. And I, I told him that I was proud of him, that I was excited about it, and I'm excited to see what God has, is doing there in that relationship. So, again, sometimes those hard conversations, they have to happen, especially as believers in Christ. They have to. We have to know how to do it, <clears throat> when to do it, and go from there. You know what? Let, let's, uh, this is not part of my notes, but this is real important. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Turn there. This passage came to my thought this morning, and it's coming to my mind again. Let's go to Galatians 6. Very important passage. <clears throat> Oops, I was like, man, it doesn't say what I think. I'm in Corinthians, that's why. <laughs> Galatians chapter 6. I think I get rid of this Bible. These thumb tabs are like throwing me off. All right. So he says, Galatians, right? The beautiful passage. This is very, very important. I wish I would have 
been taught this as a, as a young man, as a Christian young man. It says, brothers, even if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, okay? It doesn't mean just anybody, but you who are strong in the faith, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Each of you looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So what he's saying is that when you approach somebody, you better make sure that you are strong because whatever you approach them on, you may fall into that same sin if you are weak. So it doesn't mean that you can just go around calling people out everywhere. You need to make sure you are strong. Okay? So be careful. It needs to be done. So that's why it's important for us to grow and study in God's Word. Here's another reason why. So when you approach somebody, you can be able to call them out in a way that is, uh, what's it say? Gentle, right? Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. And what does it say? It says restore. It doesn't say kick them out. It doesn't say, you know, treat them this way or that way. It says the goal is to restore, to bring them back. Okay, to a full relationship with the body of Christ and with Christ himself ultimately. That's the idea here. Okay? Now, when we don't repent, then there are other instructions in Matthew 18 where we approach them with two people. Then after that, there's no restoration. They don't want a part of godliness. Then we begin to treat them like an unbeliever, which just means we give them the gospel. It doesn't mean you kick them out of the church, but we treat them as if they need the full gospel, like we would any other unbeliever. You welcome them, but with caution. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go back to Philippians. All right. So these women are members of a local ministry team, right? They worked alongside Paul, an apostle, and the gospel work is what he says, okay? He says, they worked alongside of me in the gospel. <clears throat> the word contended emphasizes the struggle they endured, okay? So not only did they, just, did they just go hang out with Paul as he preached, but they also, they contended, they struggled with the same things that Paul dealt with during that time, okay? They endured together as they did the gospel work together, This is close to Paul's heart. You can see why he's passionate. Remember also, during this time, the the culture was very hostile to Christians, okay? It's nothing like today where somebody badmouths you on Facebook or Instagram, right? This is, we're going to pick up stones, stone you, drag you out of the town, um, you know, whatever, beat you. So this is not just a simple street corner preaching event, right? This is not Todd Frill on Wretched Radio on, on, on the internet. These two worked alongside Paul to advance the cause of Christ. Okay? Not only did Paul work with these two women, but also with Clement. Okay? You see his name there. Uh, and the rest of the fellow workers or partners in the faith. Okay? We don't know anything about Clemens or Clement, um, but he is here. He worked alongside them, and then also the partners in the faith, which means other Christians, other fellow believers. That's another word that Paul uses throughout the book of Philippians. You see that in 2.25. But anyways, now Paul goes on to say whose names are in the book of life. 
This is why they should be restored, because they are Christians, they are believers, they are written, written in the book of life. <clears throat> he is talking about all those he just mentioned here. He's also including the women who need to be restored. Okay? And I'm not going to get to all kinds of detail and debate the book of life and this and that. I just want to show you that this is, in a, this is a subject of the Bible. And we all need to deal with it one day. Uh, just not today. But the term names are in the book of life is also used in the Old Testament. Okay, if you want to hold your, your Bible there and I'll just read you some of what it says. We go to Exodus 32, 32 and verse 33. It says, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. And Yahweh said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot them out of my book. We see Psalm 69, 28. May they be blotted out of the book of life. And may, and, and may they not be recorded with, righteous, with the righteous. Daniel 12, 1, it says, Now at that time Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of our people, will stand, and there will be a time of distress such as never happened since there was a nation under that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Then we have this passage here today in the New Testament. Then we go to Revelations 3.5. It says, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then lastly, Revelation 20, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. All we know is this refers to those who have received eternal life. Their names have been recorded in the book, just like, remember, he's talking to Romans here, uh, uh, Paul is, Roman, uh, people who have the Roman culture. So just like there, there were civic registries of Roman citizens in Philippi. Heavenly citizens had their names recorded in God's book of life. Okay? And it's that simple it's an analogy so they could understand <clears throat> so now we get to verse 4 4a it says rejoice in the lord always and we'll stop there it says if there were two words to describe this letter which ones would it be joy and rejoice right this letter is all about joy and all about rejoice Everywhere we see the word rejoice, and this is kind of why I stopped here and kind of wanted to break this, but everywhere we see the word rejoice uh, here in this letter, Paul is ending one point and going on to the next. We see here Paul ends with the phrase, rejoice in the Lord always, and then right after that it says, and begins the next session with, section with, again I'll say rejoice, and then he goes into the next section. We see this same pattern also in 3.1. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Then he says, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. So you see the change in, uh, in, um, in points here with, with Paul. So, um, <clears throat> Let me look real quick. Okay. 
And like I said, we, we see the word rejoice, and I'll just read them to you, but rejoice is all over the book of Philippians. We see in 118 that when only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. We go to chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. It says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you also rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. We see this. It's saturated. Verse 28. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned. And then 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, we see that there. And then 4.4, um, four, four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then we'll see it again one more time in verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at least you have revived thinking about me. Indeed, you were thinking about me before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul has written the last book to his people and is telling us to rejoice, to have joy. If I was on my deathbed, I would probably say the same thing. I remember when my uh, son was driving me to the hospital and I had COVID, and right before they put me in the hospital, we're driving, and I knew I was pretty bad. I felt like I was once we left. I mean, I'd already been at home maybe a month, really sick, three weeks, I can't remember. I got put in the hospital, and I told him, I better, oh, my emotions are kicking up, hold on. <laughs> I told him, I said, son, I said, whatever happens, I said, do not hate the Lord. Continue serving him. Don't look at this as a negative. I really felt that it was a 50-50, right? I, could, I would make it or not. But I said, don't um, hate the Lord. Have, uh, you know, continue to, to love him, serve him, serve the master well. And the point was, in all reality, was to continue to not let this event take your joy. Okay, Continue to rejoice in Him because He is sovereign and He is in control. And that's how I've trained my children and hopefully that they have taken that and believe that themselves. And so anyways, I believe this section of Philippians comes to an end here from the exemplary example of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, on sacrificial ship so in verse in chapter 2 verse 5 through 11 we see an example of christ and his sacrificial leadership and then chapter 2 18 through 3 1 we saw timothy and epaphroditus and their example of sacrificial leadership we then see the exemplary leadership of paul in chapter 3 verse 2 through 14 and this is a call to the philippian members but more specifically to the leaders. This, is, this section here is more for the leaders to take action on eliminating friction for church unity. Okay, That's what we're called here. So if you look back at, at uh, verse 3, it says, Indeed, if you also, uh, genuine companion, help these women. Right, He's talking to the leaders in this church. Help these women out. Bring unity. Okay, He's calling out the leaders. If we as a church focus on our common cause and living out the mission of our Lord Jesus as citizens of his heavenly city, okay, then church friction will not be an issue. We are to focus on Christ and his return rather than the spoils and status of the, 
of our earthly cultures, right? We are to seek the ways of Christ and not the ways of the world. And that is the call for today, right? So anyways, that's all I have for you today. Next week we'll, we'll go through verse 9 and to wrap up this section. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for um, just the examples of Philippians, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to see in these passages, Lord, the heart of Paul. I pray, Lord, that we all have this same passion for each other, for that unity which is in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a leader, if you're just a member, if you're just in here listening and you don't know where you stand, Lord. I pray that unity is expressed in our church, Lord, but because of Christ. Lord, I pray if, there's not, if, if somebody's here today, Lord, that has never experienced this unity, maybe they feel left out, Lord, in the world, at home, anything like that, Lord, I pray that they seek after you. I pray that they see that you are a God who unites us all through you and in you, Lord, and I pray that they see that, that there's a conviction of sin, Lord, and that they begin to seek after you and question who you are, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you will put these people in front of us, Lord, so that we can counsel them, we can coach them, mentor them to the perfection of the gospel and of salvation, Lord. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to focus on you and not materialism the rest of this month. We thank you, we love you. Amen.